0: Welcome to The Warning Woods. Today's story is about a paranormal skeptic who comes face to face with something that might have changed his mind forever. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it five stars and writing a review. It helps spread the podcast to more listeners. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Warning Woods. I'm Miles Tridel and this story is called Seeing is Too Late. I'll believe it when I see it. Seeing is believing. Those are the types of phrases I had been known to utter in the face of so called evidence of ghosts and ghouls. I was a skeptic at best. I still lean on logic and rational thinking, but I'm much more willing to believe now. I do this thing, it's probably stupid but I get dares from people on the internet to spend the night in supposedly haunted houses, cemeteries, abandoned buildings, etc. I've done about a dozen so far and have yet to see or experience anything paranormal. I did the Veliska Axe Murder House and the Lizzie Borden b and last year. It was fun and all, but the results were the same as usual. I get these dares pretty often, so I have to filter out the nonsense and weirdos carefully. I had just finished doing so, finding no legitimate requests in my inbox, when the mailman came by my house. Among the bills and advertisements was a small envelope with no name printed above the return address. The letter had come all the way from Oregon. With a quick search of the address, I learned the house had a dark history. Not just dark. Black. Evil. It was located on a cattle ranch where, according to one website, a family lost their entire livelihood when a rumor was started. The word was, their cattle were possessed by the devil. Supposedly, anyone who ate their meat would be possessed too. I realize that sounds like a wild, baseless claim on the surface, but as a longtime skeptic, I'm quite adept at finding explanations. If I had to guess, I imagine their cattle had mad cow disease or something along those lines. However, it's also entirely possible someone made up the rumor just to hurt the family too. Now the next part of the story is what really interested me. It didn't help the rumors to fade away either. In fact, it seems to have cemented them in the town's history. Roughly one year after the demonic possession rumors started flying around the town, the Foreman family were forced to slaughter their cattle and burn them. No one would purchase anything from them and they simply couldn't afford to keep the poor cows alive anymore. One theory says that Bertie Foreman, the matriarch of the family, was driven mad by the pointless slaughter. Another states that when the cows were killed, the devils that possessed them jumped into Bertie next. For her, the slaughter would continue well after the last cow was dead. After her children were asleep, Bertie and her husband got into bed as well. Bertie waited until she heard her husband snoring, then snuck out of the house. She retrieved a heavy branding iron from the barn. The family brand was a simple design, just a large capital F with the lower line passing through the vertical backbone of the letter. What followed is somewhat speculation, but the result seems to be fact. Bertie returned to the house with the branding iron. It's assumed that she went to her own upstairs bedroom where her husband continued to sleep soundly. She hit him once, hard enough to kill him instantly. Then she crossed the hall to the children's bedroom. She had three sons who shared that room. Somehow, she managed to kill them all without them waking. As terrible as the story already was, the ending is what made my stomach turn. Bertie drug her children to the slaughterhouse first then her husband. At some point, she heated the brand and placed its scorching mark on each of the family members' lips, sealing them shut forever. Some accounts of the murders say it took law enforcement some time to determine it was the F brand that was used because Bertie had damaged it during the killings. The bodies of her three children and husband were found hanging from meat hooks the next day. No one has a good explanation for how little Bertie Foreman managed to lift her husband up to impale him on the hook, but I suppose she may have had unnatural strength in her manic state. It's not unprecedented. Bertie herself, or what was left of her, was found hanging out of the meat grinder. Her hand was still on the crank. She had put her head into the machine and turned it herself until her skull was crushed. Of course, the Foreman ranch was said to be haunted by Bertie and the ghosts of her family. The letter I received was brief. Actually, it was just one word. Come. I booked a flight to Oregon the next day. The ranch was about a four-hour drive from the airport, so by the time I got there, I was already exhausted. The house I found stood alone near the edge of town. I stopped my car in front of the property to observe it from a distance first. There were multiple no trespassing signs around it, so I knew I would have to wait until dark to get a closer look. In my experience, local powers were not very willing to allow people like me to visit these so-called haunted places. They didn't like the attention their towns received from the articles and videos ghost chasers posted online. While I was parked on the side of the road, someone tapped on my window. I had been so focused on the dreary, forsaken house that I didn't notice the weathered old man approach. He made me jump in my seat. I smiled at him politely and rolled down my window. I had barely opened my mouth to speak when he spoke harshly to me. You'd best get away from here, young man. His eyes never left mine. He didn't blink. He didn't move at all. We just stared each other down for a few seconds before he continued. I know your type. You come here looking for ghosts, don't you? Well, let me save you the trouble. They're not here. You'd better just spend the night in the motel, and in the morning, drive yourself back to where it is you come from. Look, sir, I spoke calmly. I don't really believe in ghosts, and I'm not here to bother anyone. I just got an invitation to come by and check this place out. I promise I'll be out of your hair once I get a good look, all right? What about demons? he asked coldly. My puzzled look must have prompted him to continue. It isn't ghosts that haunt this here ranch. It's demons. The devil's own offspring. You go in there and stir them up and there will be trouble for the good-natured folks of this here town. Sir, I don't believe in demons either. In fact, I think it would be good for everyone here if someone like me could prove there is nothing evil or supernatural going on here, don't you? You think seeing is believing, don't you? he asked. He leaned in. His gray eyes were searching my soul beneath billowing eyebrows. Somehow, it felt like he knew everything about me. In answer to his question, I just nodded. Well, he said and shifted his gaze to the large barn behind the house. Sometimes, seeing is too late. I told the man I'd go to the motel, but didn't make any promises about staying away from the ranch. Once it was dark outside, I left my car parked outside my room and walked back up the road to the foreman property. The front door to the house was chained shut. Going around the back, I discovered a storm door leading to the basement. It had also been chained shut, but the wood around the handle had become rotten and weak. I was able to quietly break enough away to slip the chain off the handle and get the door open. Even my skeptical self felt a little nervous entering the dark basement at night, I had the light on my phone, but that proved to be a small comfort in the dank space. It had a dirt floor and cement walls dripping with condensation. Old furniture covered in mildew and rot was placed up against the walls. In the center was a wood-burning furnace that was covered in thick black dust or soot. Lucky for me, the stairs were directly across the basement from my entry point. Reaching them lifted some of my irrational fear. Too many horror movies, maybe. I ascended the stairs, which groaned beneath my feet. I was sure to test each one before putting much weight on it. I entered the dining room, which was attached to the kitchen. It was all still furnished, just as it had been the night Bertie Foreman brought the brand inside. I found a door and entered what must have been the living room. Before I could observe the room, I noticed something that froze me in place. The front door which had been chained from the outside, was wide open. The night gazed back at me, beckoning me to return to it. I declined. I slowly crept further into the room. I thought I heard a noise above me. It sounded like someone walking and maybe dragging something along the floor above. The stairs were next to the front door. I swallowed my fear and approached them. Going up the stairs quietly was an impossible task. I mitigated as much creaking as I could while trying to listen for whoever had entered the house. When I reached the top, I heard a door shut. I couldn't excuse it away as a draft either. The door had closed slowly, quietly, as if whoever was in there with me was trying to stay hidden. Then I heard a sound I'd rather not describe. Let's just say what I heard made me much less surprised when a door down the hall, the one I'd heard shut before, opened to reveal the blood-soaked apparition of Bertie Foreman. I was directly in her line of sight. I immediately thought she saw me as she stood in her gory nightgown wielding the dripping brand. She began to walk toward me and I screamed, stay back, but she ignored me. She continued forward and I closed my eyes, bracing myself for whatever horror she would inflict on me. But then I heard a doorknob turn. I watched her enter the children's bedroom. I couldn't take it. I couldn't listen to this woman murder her children even if it was only a ghostly replay of the real tragedy. I ran down the stairs, not caring to be quiet this time. I went through the open front door, but the feeling of safety only lasted a moment. Down the road. I saw a pair of headlights. As the vehicle passed under one of the town's few street lamps, I saw the distinct markings of a sheriff's deputy. I fought off panic and weighed my options. The deputy was undoubtedly coming by to check on the house, and with the broken lock, he would definitely search inside. Between that and the ghost of Bertie Foreman, I knew hiding in the house was not an option. But then where? The surrounding area was nothing but flat dirt and grass, That was when I saw the barn. From the outside, it appeared to be in shambles, but it still stood. Maybe the deputy would check there eventually, but I was sure he'd spend enough time in the house for me to get away first. I put the house between me and the approaching deputy and ran to the barn. I found the sliding doors weren't locked. Maybe they had been at some point, but the wood was so rotten, there was nowhere to attach any locking devices now. I squeezed my way through the doors and got inside. The meat hooks hung in the dead center of the structure. They swayed gently in the breeze that penetrated the decayed walls. I used my phone's light to get a better look at them out of morbid curiosity. I couldn't believe it when I saw the rusty stains of blood still smeared on the hooks. A car door slammed outside and I turned instinctively. That's when I saw them behind me. Five figures, just shadows until I shone my light on them, were standing in a row, just a few feet away. I pointed my phone in their direction and screamed at what I saw. First, I saw the children. Each of the boys had a gaping wound in their abdomen or chest. I could see straight through them. Their eyes were white and rolled back. Their lips were sealed shut with the black mark of an upended cross. Their father was in much the same condition. When I turned my light on him, though, I realized the burned mark on his lips was not actually a cross. It was the letter F. The upper horizontal line had been bent back when he was branded. Finally, I saw the ghost of Bertie Foreman once again. Only this time she was missing half her head. Her one remaining eye stared back at me with an undeniable rage. Her jaw hung loosely from the side of her face that had been chewed by the meat grinder. Her eye flicked over to the side, and I followed her gaze. She was looking at the meat grinder in the corner. But no, not quite. I saw it just before she darted across the barn towards it. A rack of brands hanging on the wall next to the grinder. My scream must have gotten the deputy's attention. Before I realized what was happening... A blinding light shone from the entrance to the barn. The following hours were a blur. I was detained, questioned, and arrested for trespassing. Ordinarily, I would have been upset by this, but all I felt in the days that followed was relief. I am still trying to forget what I saw that night. I'm still trying to stop imagining what might have happened to me had that deputy not intervened. I often awake in panic from a recurring nightmare. In the dream, I can't move. I can't breathe. I'm hanging. I look down and see the end of a hook protruding from my chest. I try to cry out in pain for help, but my lips won't move. I have seen, and now I am more willing to believe. Just remember the words of that old man. The man I realize now was trying to save me. Sometimes, seeing is too late. You can support The Warning Woods by clicking the Anchor Support link in the description, or by becoming a patron at patreon.com thewarningwoods. Of course, the best way to help is by writing a review and following this podcast in Apple Podcasts or subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening.